Hello and welcome to Talk to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week we are covering Who Killed Robert One. Before we get into anything else, you can follow us on Twitter and or join our Facebook group. And for that, it can be found in the show notes. If you would like to email us comments or suggestions or donate to us at PayPal, our email address is doctomepod at gmail.com. We appreciate any help, whether it's a way we can make this podcast better or just a dollar. Please help us. <laughs> Back to our, oh yeah, please help us so we don't have to make wrestling videos. <laughs> I mean, or we can make like wrestling videos. Like, if you guys, if you're into that, like, we can make some wrestling videos. We could do that. Done worse. Uh, back to our docuseries this week. It was released March 7th, 2023 on Peacock, and I hadn't heard of this case before. It's fresh. Oh, my God. You haven't heard of this case before? Ooh, Which kind of shocked of my... me. But then when I saw it occurred August 2006, I... I I was done with high school at that point, so my brain was elsewhere in a little place called Not So Soberland. This is one of my, I, I don't want to say it's like my pet cases, because like that's kind of creepy. This is one that I feel strongly about and I want to see solved. <laughs> because I am tired of people getting away with murder. Well, yeah. This series was directed by Jared P. Scott, which makes no sense when you look at his other documentaries he's directed. They're basically all about climate change, which, yes, is important. It's just this series did not fit on that IMDb list. Well, he's branching out. He's trying to get a little bit different views. <laughs> uh, let's just go ahead and say it before we get into this. This case is fucking weird. It is super, <laughs> super weird. I don't know how else to say it. It is special the guy speaking in the beginning describes it as the movie clue which is a bad comparison i get it they're both whodunits but maybe don't compare a real life murder to a comedy film or a board game whichever one you well you specifically said the movie clue (laughs) okay flames flames on the side of my face Wednesday, August 2nd, 2006, in Washington, D.C., at 11.49 p.m., a call comes in to 911 reporting a man stabbed and a possible intruder. Jeff Baker, the EMT, shows up to the house and is told that the victim is on the second floor. He reports coming upon three occupants in the house on his way to the victim, and all three of them are just acting really weird. Can we go back to the 911 tape, though? Because I heard the case file episode on this one. And I felt bad for laughing when the 911 operator... Kept saying ma'am. Kept saying ma'am. <laughs> he never corrects her. No, he doesn't. <laughs> ma'am, calm down. <laughs> uh, no one's really looking him in the eyes or saying anything. He reports one of them just making eye contact with him and then just going into a room, slowly closing the door. Which is so weird, because, like, you would think Not at that, all suspicious. Yeah, like, you would think that, you know, 911 is here to help someone who's literally been attacked and murdered. And, and this guy's like, not my business. Yeah, and he's just like... <laughs> uh, it just sounds like one of those small house parties where the vibe is just off. And so everyone's acting weird. We've all been there. Uh, finally, Jeff finds the victim in a bed with three stab wounds. And there's hardly any blood on the bed or the victim. Like, he's been cleaned up and then moved to the bed. 
They keep saying stab wounds, and then a couple sentences later, they describe them as cuts, like incisions. Yeah. It's very confusing, because he keeps saying, like, precision cuts. Yeah, I would, but they weren't, like, cuts. They were, like, pokes. They were deep wounds, but everybody kept saying they were, like, cuts. I'm like, it's one or the other. Yeah, and you don't typically die from, like, three cuts on your abdomen. And there's not much Jeff can do for his patient because there's no pulse due to blood loss. The ambulance arrives at the hospital and the patient, who is Robert Wan, is pronounced dead at 12.25 a.m. on August 3rd, 2006. By 1 a.m., cops have swarmed the house for an investigation. Brian Wade is the lead detective assigned to this murder, and he describes the scene as a million-dollar townhouse that was very decorated and very clean. (laughs) And the three guys in the home were just dressed in white robes. Which is so weird. And appeared to be freshly showered. (laughs) Again, so weird. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. The three men who lived in the house are Joe Price, Dylan Ward, and Victor Zaborski. Their story is that an intruder broke into the house through the back door that just so happened to be unlocked and killed their friend Robert, who just so happened to be staying there that night. And at some point, they heard some grunts and low screams. What the fuck is a low scream? Like... That's a, that's what I imagine a little scream. Uh, or I thought maybe, uh, but they don't know like, <laughs> like <laughs> what it tone, yell is. Like the tone is low, <laughs> a scream is high pitched, uh, correct? Uh, <laughs> like a ghost. Uh. <laughs> uh, and then they just discovered their friend dead in their guest room, and that's when they called nine one one. Nobody saw anybody break into the house, and they all just conveniently had showered <laughs> yes. as it was happening, and came out in like their matching bathrobes. <laughs> Nobody saw anybody break into the house, and yet they just right away assumed it was an intruder. When interviewing the three men, Brian notices that Joe is definitely in charge. At one point, Dylan starts to say something, and Brian caught Joe giving Dylan some sort of look as if to say, shut up, and Dylan just stopped talking. At some point around midnight, Joe called Robert's wife, Kathy, to let her know that her husband had been stabbed and that she needed to go to the hospital to see him. Like, at that point, you know he's dead. Why would you? Yeah, like, don't get her hopes up, asshole. So the three men are transported to the Violent Crimes Branch to be more thoroughly interviewed by other detectives. As lead detective, Brian stays at the scene to investigate. The bed that Robert was found on was a couch pullout, and the blood stains on that bed in no way add up to the blood loss that Robert suffered. No, it, they're I like... I think they said later he lost, like, a third of his blood... That, like, the blood on his bed looks like when I've had nosebleeds. I don't want to get too graphic, but if you told me that was blood from a teenage girl that forgot to put in a tampon, I'd believe it. Yeah. It's it's, it's literally, like, it's, like, nosebleed level. Yeah. On the floor, they find a towel. Again, not much blood on it. Even less than what was on the bed. Uh, Next to the bed on the bedside table, they find a bloody knife, which matches the set in the kitchen. On a desk in the room is Robert's clothes, neatly folded, and his wallet and his BlackBerry phone. So we're supposed to believe a stranger just walked in through the unlocked door. Grabbed a knife from the knife <laughs> Just lock. happened to know the door was unlocked. Grabbed a knife from the kitchen, stabbed the one guy who didn't live in the house, cleaned him up, and then gently placed him into this bed without anybody knowing he was even there. Or even leaving a bloodbath. Not to mention, like, went upstairs. Yeah. And past other people's bedrooms. And goes back downstairs and leaves. 
and nobody sees anything. He's good. <laughs> Next level. This is like John Bonet. <laughs> a couple of Robert's friends talk about what a great guy he was. Funny, caring, and smart as a whip. He was a fourth generation Chinese American, born in Manhattan and raised in Brooklyn. He graduated high school as valedictorian of his class. Afterwards, he attended the College of William and Mary as a James Monroe Scholar, which less than 10% of under, undergraduates receive. Here at William and Mary is when he befriends Joe Price. After graduating in 1996, he then moved on to the University of Pennsylvania Law School, where he received his JD degree with honors in 1999. So he's a smart dude. Very smart. We would have absolutely nothing in common with him. No. No, we would not. <laughs> we would we'd be like, seen any good movies lately? <laughs> I watched Megan. That was disappointing. <laughs> That's on Peacock, by the way. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Not every movie needs to be like a funny, gory movie. Some movies, you just need to pick one or the other. And that is my review of Megan. I <laughs> have not seen Megan, but I did watch... We have a ghost. I see. Yeah, I need to watch that. And I've got to say, it was pretty good. It was the kid. The kid liked it. She said, "Is it going to be kind of creepy?" And I was like, eh, "I mean, I guess there's some creepy parts." And she was like, "Then I'm in." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> what did we watch? Oh, we watched Pixels today. Oh, with the three-year-old. He enjoyed it. Cute. <laughs> cute. 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 <laughs> anyway. Again, we have not seen each other in a while. In 2002 is when he met Kathy, and according to his friends, it was a whirlwind relationship, and they married the next year and settled in Fairfax County, Virginia. And two months before his passing, he was hired as general counsel for Radio Free Asia, which is a media company for Asian countries that usually have, like, tighter press. Right. I don't know how else to describe it. It's already late. (laughs) like it's a company and they paid him a paycheck it's media stuff for asian market he was working a job not like asian market stores but asian market news market (laughs) you said market store and now i'm hungry back at the police station they start to establish the dynamic of the household joe price seemed to be the leader and he is partner to victor jaborski who seems to be the exact opposite and dylan ward fits in as they say third but he was never with victor yeah it was like a triangle that didn't actually meet no so it was just joe had his partner and a boyfriend yeah (laughs) it was like there was it was same sex marriage wasn't a thing so we have to say partner yeah but it wasn't it wasn't like a a thruple yeah which i mean is always my dream not like in that way, but just like having three people in a marriage. <laughs> not not sexually, but just the, That's the whole... That's a maid. <laughs> no, because I want them to live with me full time and I don't want to pay them. I just want them to be part of the environment. <laughs> I want them to be contributing so financially. A cult? Yes. A commune? <laughs> a commune. That is my dream. But a small level commune. I don't want like 50 people and I don't want any of the weird sex shit <laughs> like you know don't judge me okay don't See, judge I, me what i want is like us to be neighbors and we just take the fence down <laughs> okay i, I so mean we i could still just hang out i could do that too i could do that <laughs> 
Uh, if we've learned anything from sister wives, love should be multiplied, not divided. No, exactly. But also pretend that last season doesn't exist and the Brown family is still together. Shit went bad real fast. Roll, it took roll several fast. seasons. Yeah, but once it like went bad, it went bad fast. <laughs> Maybe don't marry somebody who kicks dogs. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Sob and Robin's not so great. Oh my God, I didn't know that. <laughs> they keep describing Dylan as a third wheel, but he was only hooking up with Joe. Yes. Uh, what the cops find strange is that this was the first time Robert had even spent the night at this house. It's just... But, like, I think that he had stayed the night at other, like, another house that they had. But this created. house, specifically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they frame it in a way like, oh, he's such a straight guy. Why would he spend the night in a house full of gays? It's called because he's fucking <laughs> friends, friends with him. With <laughs> there was definitely some, like... There was you a know. lot of homophobia. Yeah, there was there was some homophobia in all of this, but yeah, I mean he's fucking friends with them. Like he doesn't have to be gay to sleep it. Him staying there was kind of a last minute thing. It seemed he knew he was going to work late that night, and rather than take public service and possibly waking up his wife when he got home, who he knew had to get up early the next day, he called around to a few friends who lived in the D.C. area to stay at their places, and Joe was just the first one to respond to him. Right, he had also called up a female friend from college, and yeah, Joe just happened to be the first one to be like, hey, yeah, of course you can stay the night. At 9.30 that night, he called his wife Kathy to chat with her to tell her, you know, he loves her. Aww. Uh, At 9.40, he meets with the night staff at Radio Free Asia, which was the whole reason he was staying late. At 10.24, he calls Joe. He then gets a cab and arrives at Joe's at around 10.30, and I guess... His work was a mile away from Joe's house, so. Because I was not, like, damn, that was fast. Yeah, not, not a lot of time to account for. Uh, Robert gets there, and it seems they all kind of just sat around chatting for a little bit. Uh, eventually, Robert is shown the bed, and everyone goes to bed with Joe and Victor in bed together. Joe and Victor wake up when they hear the chime of an outside door open, and then they start to hear yelling or screaming. I'm curious as to why they both admit going straight to Robert's room to check on him. Maybe it didn't sound like a woman screaming. Or Dylan. They just don't go to Dylan's room to check on him. I don't know if it was editing on the part of the show or themselves when they said that. Uh, anyway, they find Robert in bed and the knife is lying on top of him. Not inside of him, just flat on his body. Joe admits to picking the knife up and moving it to the bedside table. Joe lifts up Robert's shirt, sees the wounds, and yells at Victor to go call 911. Hearing the commotion between Joe and Victor is what woke Dylan up. I mean, I'm sure Victor screamed a lot. I mean. (laughs) And Joe says he remembers at some point seeing the back door open. So that's why he assumed the intruder came in that way. But even that story doesn't make a lot of sense. Like you saw them leaving? Like what? Or just the door was open. It's a townhome, so even calling it a backyard is ridiculous. No, and I've lived in a townhome where, you know... It's just that back patio, really, where you just sit out. Yeah, and you got like a tiny patch of grass. Maybe a fireplace, the outside fire pit, where you just go and hang out. It's not... I mean, this is like a million dollar townhome, so of course they have a fire (laughs) pit. Uh, It's, yeah, it's a 
back patio with a seven-foot fence that was dead bolted. Is it even possible somebody could have climbed like that? Yeah. Is it likely? No. Well, and I think that they later on show, I guess they had a detective or patrolman or someone climb the fence to show that, like, it could be done. But it's just not practical. No, it's not. And also the cobwebs and stuff weren't disturbed. Uh, Brian Wade, the lead detective, mentions that they checked along the fence and there were spider webs along the top and also just no signs of anyone having climbed over. Something else Brian notices is that this is a hundred year old home, at least, and the stairs squeak. Robert was on the second, it's a third floor home. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Robert was on the second floor and no one heard an intruder climbing up and down the stairs. So obviously cops are not buying the intruder story. Dylan's alibi is that he was in his room and there's no one to back this up. And yet Joe is so adamant that it couldn't have been Dylan. It had to be this stranger. I do have to throw some shade at the cop. I don't remember which one it was. Who seemed aghast that a stranger came into the house without a weapon and somehow just knew there would be a knife. They just knew there would be this knife block in the kitchen. Do you have a knife block? Of course I do. And not even, like, if you don't even have a knife block, you're still going to have fucking knives in your kitchen. Our like, houses are nowhere near a million dollars. And yes, we have knife blocks. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we keep knives in our kitchen, which is on the way to the bedrooms. <laughs> what is shocking is that Joe and Victor are on the third floor. They manage to hear the chime from their room. But Dylan, who's on the same floor as Robert, hears absolutely nothing until the other two start freaking out. And the killer would have had to go past his door. (laughs) Dylan is asked to take a polygraph test and shows deception, which means nothing because polygraphs are useless. The cops have nothing to keep them there, so the three leave. Brian Wade gets back to the homicide office, and when Joe found out Brian was the lead detective, he suddenly wants to talk again don't understand that like did they know each other like was there some kind of connection didn't understand that he's hot uh this time he admits that he didn't find the knife lying on robert he pulled the knife out of him which is a little bit different it makes no sense to change the story like you already admitted to touching the knife (laughs) doesn't matter yeah i mean i think that you would remember if you actually pulled it out of him yeah i feel like like that would be something you would remember One's way more horrifying. We get to the autopsy, and here is where it gets even fucking weirder. It's performed by Dr. Lois Goslinowski, who at this time was deputy medical examiner for the District of Columbia with 2,100 other autopsies under her belt. The first thing that she notices are these three wounds to Robert's chest. We've kind of already went over it that they're not like exactly stab wounds. They're more all identical cuts. Like pokey cut? Like, Again, don't we don't know what that means. But it doesn't seem that there were any defensive movements from the victim while this was happening. Right. He didn't try to stop them. They were clean cuts. Stab cut poking. Yeah, they're clean cuts and there's no defensive wounds on Robert's arms or hands. The cause of death was the stab wounds to the chest and the manner of death was homicide. It was basically internal bleeding, which is not a quick death. No. But to be stabbed, cut, whatever, three times, not fight off your attacker and to just basically lie there bleeding internally is, well, I'd say that's fucking bonkers. Yeah, it's not not typically (laughs) something one would do. They find no ligature marks on his arms or legs, so the next assumption is perhaps he was under the influence of some type of drug. And to add to this theory, needle puncture marks are found on his neck, 
the back of one of his hands, a few on his ankle, and on top of his feet. Obviously, some of these could have been from the EMTs or doctors at the hospital, whether they remember it or not. Right, trying but to all start IVs. But yeah, I just, like, some of them I could see, like, the hand yeah. I could see being, like, a needle Hands, from ankles, it. top, yeah. Yeah. But what they're hinting at is, was Robert drugged? And that's why there was no sign of fighting? Jason Torchinsky, who was friends with Robert, was kind of assigned in the family friend group to be the one to sit with Kathy and give her support as she's being interviewed by police. And they're both kind of shocked based on the questions being asked because they could tell the police do not believe the intruder story. And later that day, Joe calls Kathy to ask what she talked about with the police. Which, which is, is creepy. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know more than I do. The fuck? And soon after that, Joe, Victor, and Dylan show up to Kathy's home requesting a private meeting with her. Nobody knows what it was said, but it seemed that she believed their story. And soon after, the three lawyer up. Which, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, they're smart dudes. They're well within their rights, and especially because of the way the police were treating them during that first interview. Yeah, some, some homophobia. Basically insinuating that it must have been a weird gay thing, because why else would super straight Robert just be hanging out with three gay guys? Like, well, I don't ew, know. didn't like, Robert know about gay cooties? Yeah, like, straight men have never been friends with gay men. 2006, it, it was, was pretty a strong. Lot. Yeah, it was pretty strong homophobia for, for the time period. And then they do a walkthrough of the backyard in the house to show the route the intruder would have had to take. And an interesting thing is that on the second floor, right in front of the stairs, would have been Dylan's room. Again, how did he not hear the chimes or anybody coming up and down the stairs? Seriously, it just doesn't make any sense. But also the intruder skips the room that's right there at the top of the stairs to go to a guest room. That he doesn't even know if someone's staying in. <laughs> he goes into this room and doesn't just stab right away. He walks around the bed, going past a wallet, phone, and a watch to stand on the other side of the bed to stab a victim who somehow doesn't react. It's all so suspicious. He then proceeds to go back downstairs, passing by Dylan's room, and goes out the back again to jump over the fence instead of going out the front door. Uh, this is a town home, which means it shares a wall with a home next door. Neighbors that share a wall report that while they were watching the nightly news, which would have been between 11 and 11.30, they recall hearing a scream. They are able to establish that the scream came from Victor when he discovered the body. Again, the neighbors reported the scream during the news, which ended at 11.30, and Victor didn't call 911 until 11.49. So what was he doing during that gap in time? Yeah, like, just staring at him for 19 minutes. Just screaming. <laughs> uh, I will also link to the 911 call because it's fucking weird. We'll go over a little bit of it. Victor doesn't say anything about our friend being stabbed. It's somebody was stabbed. He somehow knows Robert was stabbed, but isn't sure where on the body. He's so scared of this intruder possibly still being in the house, but he's fine with staying on the top floor while his partner's on another floor. <laughs> it's also like he's not really paying attention because the operator has to keep repeating herself often. He calmly mentions that the intruder must have one of their knives. Again, why? <laughs> yeah, why would he not bring his own knife? And on the call, Victor reports hearing the chime after the screams. He again mentions how frightened he is to go downstairs because of the intruder and then just calmly asks for the current time. 
Which is the weirdest thing of all, because who the fuck cares what time it is? Your friend was just fucking stabbed. But he doesn't want to interrupt, you know, EMTs if it's, like, too, too late. Oh, um, can we put a hold on that 911 call? <laughs> He's already dead. We can wait. Uh, and it is strange that it's never, I heard this or I heard that. I think it's this. Every time he says something, it's we. We think it's an intruder. We heard the chime. We have no idea. Almost like they worked out the story together so that it became a group thing. Yes. Which makes more sense when you have that gap in the timeline between Victor's scream and the 911 call. Victor came down and saw what was happening to Robert, which would explain the scream. And then they had time to possibly get story straight. And maybe clean up a little. And then the call. We don't know. 72 hours after the murder, the cops are looking through Dylan's room for any evidence and just stumble upon a treasure trove of BDSM equipment and toys. It is a plethora. Normally you see a dildo or two and you just kind of giggle. <laughs> this man had. But the amount of shit they found in this room, like, you would gasp. This man had sh- fucking sex toys for days. But hey, you do you, as long as everything is consensual. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever, if you have your, your toys. It's a lot. So the cops see this, they go, of course, gay guys are perverts and clearly sexually assaulted this guy. Like, it just feeds into their theory. Of course. It's so ridiculous. And they request the medical examiner to go back and test for sexual assault. She finds sexual signs of sexual assault of his rectum, and the semen reveals it's Robert's own fucking weird i know and that is what is just like mind-blowing for me because that's not something you find but, every day it just made i had more questions was this like deep inside his rectum was it just around the whole <sighs> which makes me curious could like, he have like jerked off into his underwear and, and then I, it I, just I, like rubbed on the yeah. outside of his which is another thing like yeah like it would be beneficial to know like where yeah his semen was in around his rectum like was it like inside like deep like no the cops just directly go to oh they put the semen inside of him right because like (laughs) i'm like okay they're but like i'm picturing like you know you're laying in bed you're jerking off and then it just like you know gets everywhere like maybe it rolls down to your butt maybe you're like (laughs) cleaning up and i don't know like then you take a shit and you wipe your ass i don't fucking know like there's like so many different things that could happen but also it all depends on where exactly the semen yeah. was because they said like, they also like found deep his inside semen. of his rectum well, because when they said they found they also found semen on his genitals i was like okay well clearly he was like just jerking off but they said it was also in his rectum i'm like well how far deep Right, like, was it on the cusp of his rectum? Like, was it, like, inside of his rectum? Because if it was inside of his rectum, then obviously, like, that's pretty sus. Because, like, most, you know, casual dudes aren't, like, jerking off and then... You know, we're not experts. I I don't know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, just, we'll leave it at that. We're not experts. Just a little more information. Yeah. It could just be an easy thing to figure out. Then we finally get to episode two. A lot has happened. Uh, Episode two could have just been cut for like half of it. Uh, We, of course, start with two minute recap of the first episode. It's only two episodes that were released the same day and they're about an hour each. 
we don't need a recap in between. No. Like, I, <laughs> I literally just finished watching the first episode. Like, we can just get to the point. And then we just immediately go back into the semen being found in the anal cavity. Just not a good way to start an episode. You got to ease people back in. <laughs> Welcome. Good afternoon. We were just discussing. And the semen. Semen in the anal cavity. But was it in the anal cavity or was it just around the anal cavity? All speculation. But also, they never found Robert's DNA on any of the sex toys. So right then, why do we keep talking about the sex toys? But no, they keep talking about it. They really want to focus on the BDSM and about how it must be the reason for his death. And that just doesn't make sense. I just, I can't help but think that, like, it was entirely possible that there was some cleanup and there were some things, like, thrown away or, you know just disappeared i don't know but i feel like he wasn't there at the house long enough no and that and that's you know for all we know the semen was just around his rectum and he just happened to like jerk off and it like got yeah. there and then he was stabbed and the semen has absolutely nothing to do with being <laughs> exactly. stabbed there's just no reason to waste the amount of time that they do on the bdsm angle it's other than like you know the homophobia there's no proof he was tied up his dna wasn't found on any of the toys everybody attested that he was straight and happily married to his wife he was literally at this house just asleep for the night he'd only been there like an hour (laughs) the toxicology results come back and they can find no reason why he wouldn't have put up a fight however they also didn't test for any paralytic anesthetic because most of those contain ingredients that are naturally occurring in the body. They keep mentioning succinylcholine, which makes no sense. It works so quickly. Why would you even bother stabbing him? No. Like, I think 45 seconds, you aren't able to breathe anymore. (laughs) Yeah, he would have died. and He would have suffocated before he even bled out. Uh, Robert's funeral is held the next week with Joe, Victor, and Dylan attending. Very brave. Joe was not only one of the pallbearers, he was receiving his own condolences from people. You'd think he'd just sit in the back and not say a fucking word. Yeah. We're back to investigating the scene and trying to figure out why it wasn't a bloody mess. The cops bring in a dog who alerts to there being human skin cells or blood in the lint trap of the dryer and also a drain in the rear stairwell. And then that's all we hear. Uh, Again, not concrete proof that it could have been from Robert's blood so they use reagent to try and see if they could find proof of blood that's been cleaned up in the house problem is they didn't read the fucking instructions on how to mix it and just use it and miraculously they found signs of blood everywhere in that house <laughs> it lit up like a fucking like a Christmas slaughterhouse <laughs> they ended up doing a quarter of a million dollars worth of damage to the house that house was fucked it looked like my shower after i dyed my hair blue it was bad like how do you not spray it on like one wall and go i don't think this is working right (laughs) you do the whole goddamn house there's blood on every single wall in this house it's like fucking exorcist top to bottom blood everywhere fucking idiots (sighs) not not the smartest (laughs) A month into the investigation, they start to look at the knife, the murder weapon. They can't find any DNA or fingerprints that match anyone in the house. And also, in the match, the knife doesn't match up to the wounds. 
I said, what was it, the knife much longer? Yeah, but I mean, you don't have to stab it all the way in, so. But like a perfect, you're going to, the knife is longer than the wounds, but you're managing to stab it in like the same exact height without it being the knife all the way in. I don't know. It's weird. It also had white fibers on it that matched to the towel that was found at the scene. And now we're told the significance of the towel. That was what Joe said they used to staunch the bleeding, which is even crazier because of the small amount of blood that was on the towel. Yeah, like what bleeding? The evidence is showing that someone dipped the towel in blood and then spread that over the knife to make it look like the murder weapon. And Robert had been stabbed while wearing a shirt and they didn't find any of the shirt fibers on the knife. Planted knife. This is why I don't feel like they need to keep bringing up the BDSM stuff because the story is bonkers enough with the evidence. And then they find more suspicious evidence in Dylan's room. A weird turkey carving knife set. Why is that in your room? (laughs) Like he like moved in and he didn't want to share it with his roommate. So he just (laughs) kept it in his bedroom. It's three pieces in a case. A carving knife, carving fork, and a smaller knife that's missing. And the smaller knife would have fit more as the weapon than the planted knife. And of course, this knife has never been found. Although his mother would later say she gifted this set to him and kept the smaller knife for herself. Which, what the hell, Why? <laughs> but again, we have not seen the knife. Yeah, that's a good, that's scary. It's like, maybe you should show it, mom. Uh, three months after the murder, the house was burglarized of more than $7,000 worth of electronic equipment. This isn't reported to the police by any of them. It's reported by Dylan's lawyer. Didn't they say, like, they weren't even living in the house at the time? But I was like, then why is all their shit still there? Yeah, like, they just hadn't moved out, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe they just weren't living there because it was still under the police. That would make sense. I wouldn't want to live in an active crime scene either. Especially if it looked like that. Just bad hair dye job all (laughs) over the fucking walls. Uh, Even crazier, Joe's brother Michael and accomplice are the ones arrested for it, but eventually the charges are dropped. I I don't know why you've dropped the charges. Uh, One thing the cops did learn while investigating this crime is that Michael also had a key to the home. But then they also talked about how all you had to do is just stick your hand in the mail slot and you could unlock the door. So I don't know the significance. Yeah, and I just, like, would anyone and everyone know that you could just stick your hand in the mail slot? Because there's people still living in that house and the neighbors. Maybe you shouldn't announce that. Yeah. Even more suspicious, when Joe was asked during that first interrogation the night of the murder if anyone had a key, he said no, but his brother had a key. I wouldn't remember everyone that had a key to my house. (laughs) Michael also worked at a hospital, so could he have stolen a paralytic agent and used it on Robert? And he missed class that day at school. But that all falls apart when his phone doesn't show him anywhere near the townhouse and his partner alibis him. Wait, is he gay too? Yes. But I like how the guy was like, well, he worked at a hospital. He could have just grabbed a paralytic agent off a cart. Like, I don't think they just keep those on carts. That's not how hospitals (laughs) Don't you have to log in? Like, medications. Uh, The following year, Kathy, Robert's wife, uh, retains the services of attorney Eric Holder, who you may know as the attorney general under President Obama. Fuck you. I think he was the first black attorney general. Fuck you. (laughs) And I guess he was a former co-worker of Robert's. 
Kathy then holds a press conference to appeal for public assistance, which is the first time she publicly comments on the case. Eric Holder also speaks, and they both kind of hint at believing the three guys were involved. Which was shocking because everyone was under the impression that Kathy was still buying the stranger theory. Soon after this happens, the three guys sell the townhouse and move down to Florida. In October 2008, more than two years after the murder, an obstruction of justice charge was filed against Dylan. In November 2008, Joe and Victor were arrested and also charged with obstruction of justice. They were later released pending trial but subjected to electronic monitoring and curfews. November 25, 2008, Kathy files a wrongful death lawsuit against the three. The lawsuit alleges negligent failure to rescue rescue Robert after he was injured, destruction of evidence, and conspiracy to destroy evidence and obstruct police investigation. December 19th, additional charges of conspiracy were filed against all three. During the same hearing, the electronic monitoring and curfews were ended, and prosecutors said charges related to tampering with evidence could be filed in the future. The belief was that they didn't have enough evidence to charge with murder, so they just kept piling on charges in hopes one of them would flip. More information about the murder comes out, such as evidence of some suffocation, possibly, and two emails had been drafted on Robert's Blackberry at a time when he was believed to have been dead already. But, like, what would you have written? Yeah, why, what would, what were the emails about? Yeah, like, it doesn't make sense. On June 29, 2010, Judge Lynn Leibovitz found each of the men not guilty on all of the charges. Which doesn't make a lot of sense because she did explain that she personally believed personally believe that the men knew who killed Robert, but was not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed the offenses of which they were charged. It's like, okay, but if, he, if they know who did it, <laughs> then that's obstructing justice. Yeah, you're obstructing police investigation. Like, how do you not get that? Uh, the suit against the three filed on behalf of Kathy was settled for an undisclosed sum and agreement on August 3rd, 2011. Reportedly, Joe and Victor still live together in Florida, and Dylan left the relationship and is now married. Joe and Dylan have changed their last names, but um, that information is very easy to find. (laughs) Wikipedia. So a still unsolved murder uh, in the years since multiple organizations established scholarships and memorials in his name. October 22nd, 2011, France, 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 family and friends gathered at Barksdale Field at the College of William and Mary to dedicate two benches and two trees in Robert's memory. The plaques on the benches features a references to one of his favorite songs, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Ah, oh, such a great song. Is it? I mean. I like it better when he's saying hello, Dolly. Uh, if you have any information that could help solve this case, please call 202-727-9099. Or you could just, like, you know, call the police so you don't have to <laughs> specialize. Uh, let's just say they did eventually arrest someone for this crime who wasn't Joe, Victor, or Dylan. I don't think I would be shocked if it was an intruder. Like, my first response wouldn't be, what? It would be like, why? Yeah, I would... I would be like, why do all these what? steps? Kind of thing, but like, <sighs> not bringing a weapon, not picking the first door you walk past, not stealing anything, not leaving out the front door. I could see it being a possibility. I'll still leave it as a possibility. I just don't understand it. Yeah, but I lean more towards it with someone in the house. Uh, the sandbox that they showed the next door neighbor's backyard that was next to the fence being messed with was interesting. 
Like it looked like somebody jumped over the fence, landed on the top of it. But not really. Like I feel like that could have happened from anything. Those Fat things, cat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously though, like those the tops of those little sandboxes are pretty fragile. Like you know, I feel like anything could have like popped it in a little bit. Um, I, I'm just leaving it open. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's such a crazy case. Wasn't a huge fan of this docuseries. series. Could have just been an hour and a half film. I agree that it could have been a film. Not everything needs to be a series. I can agree with that. (laughs) So yeah, who knows if this will ever be solved completely. Cops never kept a sample of his blood, so it's not like we can do any more testing for drugs that might have been in his system. Which is bullshit. (laughs) But it was not the succinylcholine that they kept bringing up. No. It just doesn't make sense. It works way too quickly. Unless that's what killed him, and but the stab he wounds suffocated before he bled out. Maybe that's why he didn't bleed out completely. Maybe he... but no, because the medical examiner said he was missing like a third of his blood. They have no idea where it was. Well, clearly, it was cleaned up because that was not <laughs> a third of his blood, unless the man was an ant. <laughs> that anemic. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely, it's a really interesting case overall. Like, just kind of like a what the fuck. Not like clue level. But No, it was not clue. <laughs> and if I hadn't just watched clue like two weeks ago, I probably would have watched it again. I might actually watch it again tomorrow. <laughs> Still good. <laughs> My kid will watch it with me, so that's always a perk. So yeah, this is, this is interesting. It's, it's a weird one. It's a real weird one. All right. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Eh, who knows? We will definitely It's be back summer break. I'm, or not summer break, spring break. Ugh, don't remind me. <laughs> we may just take a week off. <laughs> don't remind me. All right. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Talk to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at doctomepod and find a link to our Facebook group in the show notes. Thank you.